Wholeness, welcome. This is Josh Dippold of IntegratingPresence.com. And today I got Andrew Bartzis, the Galactic Historian, again with me. Uh, Andrew, what's going on? Not too much. Getting cooked by the solar flares, just like everyone else. You know, they essentially they called one of them like a solar Grand Canyon explosion. It was uh, three days ago. You know, it was half the size of the Carrington event from 1855. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we they- ever got... If we ever got hit by something as the so big as the Carrington event, it would be like a large-scale EMP going off at every major and minor city simultaneously. So where was this on that scale of that? Half. The Carrington event was the peak, and the scale that we experienced, it, did, it, was no, it wasn't a direct hit. The planet was, it was, it was way off, but the solar winds was so accelerated it cooked us. And now this, will this be reflected in the Schumann resonance? Uh, resonance yes, the, yes. Okay. Think of it like a guitar, the inside of the guitar, creating that echoey voice. Uh-huh. And as solar winds go by, it rings planet Earth's energy, and the Earth acts like the hole in the guitar, amplifying that energy. And it's just resonating louder and louder. And then there's different aspects of the Earth that are different densities that resonate differently, and then they absorb that vibration. Like there's actually a layer of diamonds at about 230 miles. There's a core of diamonds about six kilometers thick separating the crusts. So there's a di- there's an internal diamond shell and then the rest of the hollow earth. Wow. And then my buddy just reminded me the other day that there's artificially created diamonds too. And the diamond yes. market is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, wouldn't they love to get their hands on that, right? Um, well, they already have their hands on it. You, you can, right now, you cannot tell the difference between an artificial diamond and a real diamond. And they don't and have to disclose that either, do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. Which has created very weird effects inside the whole diamond industry, which is all completely predicated on money laundering. Well, and not only, yeah, and, and they control the, the the supply and amount. So I guess diamonds really aren't that rare. It's just that they will withhold a lot to control the availability in the market, right, artificially. So are diamonds rare? Yes, they are. Okay. There's only a handful of situations in which they randomly appear on the surface, and random isn't the real world. They evolve there from bottom to top. They're called kimberlite pipes, okay? These are specialized pressure vents that – creates separations between cracks and allows subsurface subterranean ground to slowly go up and up and up and up and up and up with higher and higher pressure, which creates fields of diamonds. Okay. That can be found in rivers, lakes, anywhere. They could, they're, 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 they're there, but your chance of finding them are limited until you start doing large scale surface cultivation, which is what the African blood diamonds are about. Now, Slave labor searching the rivers and the forests and tearing everything up six inches underground. There's a place, as far as I know, the only like diamond mine in the states is in Arkansas. Um, that the public Murfreesboro, can yeah, away, right. Actually, there's several. There's several. That's actually a state park, but oh, there yes. are several open facilities, just like Murfreesboro diamond state park i believe is what it's called yes but there are several of those places around that you can go go to and get get diamonds from very cool yes i've been to the mount ida area digging for quartz and yeah. it's, it's a really cool and then in the crystal community you've got you i usually see people that are in the, the geology then you have the kind of metaphysical oh. people then you have the jewelry people but i i kind of like them all they're they're yeah, all cool people too. yep and I, I tell anybody if you've never become a rock, know what a rock hound is, once you mm-hmm. learn it, it, it's really fun and great exercise. 
It really is cool. Um, now, I was going to uh, starting this off by saying, you know, like in this no time we live in, what is what are some of the um, most important things, you know, in recent uh, moments that we've been going through? And you mentioned this um, this this uh, solar event. Is there anything else worth mentioning uh, recently that's of importance, either recently happening or potentially coming? We have up? a com- we have a comet in the sky. Okay, what's we have the name a. Of I forgot what the name of it sure. is, but it's yeah. Um, it's it, it was the it was the the series of facts: solar flares, new moon, uh, Lionsgate coming up. Okay, all, all of that's confluence plus a comet in the sky. Wow. Yes, and just for okay. if this is audio only, it's the twenty seventh of uh, July 2022 and I'll probably do no notes on this just so maybe we can push it a little further and give the algorithms a run for their money plus it gets it gets me a chance to get it out quicker and less work Um, also I just I love doing this because it gets to give Andrew uh, to showcase his talents here maybe a little more so uh, with some little added stress testing but only to bring out the best right your internet's beginning to drop oh no Okay. Right. It- Let's just just turn off the video because uh, you got you're you're going yellow again and you'll drop into red. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, there's a list of stuff here too. Um, one thing I wanted to um, ask you about since you're fairly into like uh, shamanism, especially with the Native American Indians here, is I don't know if you've tuned into like some things out of Australia. Um, but they've, uh, a lot of times they'll start with paying tribute to the, the natives of that land, the particular land that they're on. And I thought that was really interesting and kind of cool to, to pay that tribute. What would you, if you're familiar with what I'm talking about it, or even yeah, if not, what would you recommend um, as kind of like a, just a, maybe a shout out practice? I mean, for lack of a better word, or how, how to, uh, do you, any kind of suggestions that come to mind with something similar like that? To like give to them? Well, so what they'll do is they'll say, I just like to pay respects to the such and such people who are the, the native caretakers of this uh, land that we are in Australia. And Unfortunately, it, it doesn't work like that. Ah. You got to know the person to give a, give a compliment to them. Ah. And a lot of these people, they don't live around other people. They live around their tribal people. Mm-hmm. So the greatest gift you can give them is respect. Yes. And I want to learn about your culture. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, what's the word platitudes? They don't, they don't understand that stuff. It, it does seem like that a little bit. Yeah. Because unfortunately, where do statement likes, likes that go on the internet? Right. To be marketed. And then it becomes vain. It doesn't become real to that person. Yeah. So instead of virtue signaling. Yes. Do, do, do actual virtue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Work with them. Learn about them. Cool. Help their people. Watch their babies. And I'm not. I mean, you know, don't babysit their kids, but that's another way. You know. Sure. Everyone can figure out a way that they can help. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I've got a bunch of kind of, uh, I guess, more metaphysical topics here. Okay. Just jump right into them. Um, I've heard these uh, this this thing coming on and going on now about a potential. It's called like a blending and then maybe a merging between the phantom matrix in our reality. Mm-hmm. Do, do sounds you know? like mm-hmm. that. Sounds like light worker conspiracy word salad. Oh, okay. 
So the, yeah. trying, to, mm-hmm. trying to use myth of all of these words and confluing into nothingness. Yeah, that's the thing with the terminology, right? Because different systems will have different terminology for kind of the same right. thing. So if you don't know what that one key prophecy is yes. from that one enunciation of one word combined with the other enunciation of other words out of their own prophecies, it means nothing to you. Because well, it is right. everything is about what you believe in, right? And if you don't know what this what this prophecy is, how are you going to believe it? Well, right. The, the Phantom Matrix, from what I understand, and it's just from information, so it's not really based on. No, anything. I, I I know it is. Yeah. I, I'm 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 saying my answer for a reason. Gotcha. Okay, because there's a lot of people who don't know what the Phantom Matrix is, mm-hmm. and they're going to go look it up, and they're going, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why I like using terms light worker word salad, conspiracy <laughs> word salad. Yes. Throw it all together, it'll make sense to someone. It's a salad. Okay. Okay. Now, if there were details, yeah. Ooh, a blending of the realities. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, brain, f- create something out of fear. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the fear thing it it, it can ramp up. Um, yeah, pretty mm-hmm. pretty it's high. Like people, not careful. It's like, yep. it's like those people with with awakening sickness. I call them the biggest bullshitters in the world. You're just <laughs> not doing anything. You're getting sick. You're not awakening. Because you're not doing jack and shit. <laughs> okay? There is no awakening sickness. You're sick. Oh, yeah. Okay? There's, there's you need that. colonics. You need spiritual practice. You need to go out and have fun. You need to get laid. You need friends and family. You can't be a hermit anymore. Yeah, and that definitely plays into it for sure, big time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Speaking, it's for a lot of people out there. A sure. lot of people are, are just stuck in the iron grip of mediocrity and trying to get their shoulders and arms free to, to run off to the freedom of being the lone wolf ahead of the pack. Yeah, and, and it does, you know, there's uh, the spiritual ego thing does come in for sure. Um, you know, get kind of a, a grip on integrating the regular ego and then there's still the spiritual ego. So. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Hey, no, I guess more some of the old uh, esoteric concepts that are just kind of more, uh, I guess, um, established, like the central sun. So, so what can be said about the central sun, and how how do you view it and its purpose, and the rays from it, and whatnot? Okay, mm-hmm. so when a universe is formed, um, or a galaxy is formed, a soul that is very old goes to beyond where galaxies and universes are and goes into the absolute void of nothingness. And as it's on the journey to void of nothingness, it's losing whatever connections it had to the normal vast realities that it had been a part of. It's recalled all of its avatars, pieces, parts, everything, and is assembling them in the void. Now, the spiritual contracts of the people that they have left have a value. So once this being coalesces in the void the spiritual contracts that are now have been null and void have created a vacuum that can, if the contracts that the being has created over trillions of lifetimes potent enough, it will come back to as a galactic central sun or a universal central sun. Wow. Attracting all of those people it's had previous contracts with good, bad, and indifferent to come to its theme park, Paramount studios, instead of Disneyland (laughs) of great creation. Wow. So they break them down to galactic central suns 
what's the difference between the galaxy and a universe? Each galaxy is a universe within its own. And there are a bunch of galaxies within one universe, which are the prime creators. And there are more than one creator. And so when we get into this kind of um, galactic level, universal level, what, how can we describe, or how can you describe some of the, the barriers between the universes? Like what separates? Do they overlap when you get to the edge of one? Uh, projection, the, projection mm-hmm. of belief, the totality of the consciousness that's in, in it and aware within it. Wow. Okay. okay. That's why raising your frequency is so important because it expands the galaxy and the universe. And it's a very common practice among the great star traveling species out there that when the galaxy reaches a, a, a apex or a critical mass of soul of souls learning new things, they go to the very edge of the galaxy, right at the very, very edge, and they wait for an event where the galaxy expands. And there could be trillions of beings spread all over the different galaxy edges waiting to watch this thing expire because the literally the line of the galaxy will expand. And that's the dreaming aspect of the universe or the galactic mind that's creating solar systems, planets, and an entire infrastructure for the new founding light beings who are at the edge of the galaxy to go and populate. Wow. So the... I guess to go from here, have you heard of the, uh, like a pillar project? Like um, maybe it's with the crystal pillars. Um, do you, are you sensing or tuning into this, um, this program? No. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, um, let's just skip that then. And the, the Maldekian flames, like um, the blue flame, the blue Maldekian flame, this technology. So there was a blue flame before Maldekian. Okay. So Maldek was just one of the thousands of worlds that worshipped a blue flame energy. Mm. Now, it was not a god. It was a, it was a universal source. And that source as a flame was a consciousness that could spread to other consciousness, which could touch lower consciousness beings and make them become higher consciousness beings or evolve them very rapidly. And it was ultimately determined that the blue flame is actually a species of entity and it can be symbiotic and it can be parasitic at the same time. Mm. So do we know the origins of it? Yeah. It's part of the founding systems of light expansion. Think of like amoebas Mm -hmm. founding, uh, founding light amoebas. Yes. But they have also grown and evolved, but they didn't grow species like humans they kept themselves going and going and lived longer and longer lives and become more more separated with their own cultures and yeah. many got invested in and involved in the pleiadians the lemurians the this is and the that's mm-hmm. but then ultimately got entangled into their karmas oh. and many of them lost their will to be that type of being and decided it's time to move on and be something else but the blue flame remains then? Oh, sure, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was the evolution, the blue flame, the consciousness that uses blue flame bodies. It's what it had to go through. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of star systems now that have blue flame temples uh-huh. and, with and- enti- blue flame entities in them who help people evolve. So 
I'm going to fork this in two directions uh, uh, to pick up on the parasite thing. That was one of the things. Now, I know you've uh, the cleanses you've mentioned, and you teach heavily about those. Uh, what about, uh, and they address energetic parasites, but are there any other ways to do um, address energetic parasites? And then you mentioned temples, and I want to go into some teachings about uh, temples and you know how they are in the unseen like different temple smiths, constructions, kind of kind of the practices that go on there, the purposes, the training, you know, all about that stuff. Um, okay. So two Which things one there. do you want to do first? Well, it's up to you. You pick. <laughs> all right. So parasites. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, parasites are a part of the everyday world. So planetary systems across the galaxy and universe – shared the term parasite. So seed and egg technologies create all sorts of vast consciousness. Parasitic birth consciousness is that use something else to give birth or to latch on and could be either survive. They're surviving outside their density. So they are technically interdimensional travelers. Now that does not mean all parasites are interdimensional travelers, just parasites that work with super high consciousness beings who can siphon tiny sparks of super high consciousness to rapidly advance their own amoebic process or spread throughout a body and be a part of a parasitic relationship, even though they don't give back more than they take, but they give enough to get the being through hard times. So a follow up on that. What are the, are these the the darker beings like this? I don't know, like the dark reaches or dark avatar collective. Some of these groups, will they employ parasites for their, their Oh yes. And then they use magic and cubes and things like that. Right. To amplify them and put them on steroids. Yeah. 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 And so this is just like kind of a magical creation or is it, is there technology involved or chimera? Chimera techniques. So you take something that's a parasitic entity that's never had a body before and stick it in a body. Like it's going to be a minotaur or it's going to be this, or it's going to be half human, half dog. Mm -hmm. And they're easier to control. And these are all what on in the 4d basically. No, this would be in 3d genetic manipulations and mutation through a womb or a rapid grow, a rapid grow um, clone tank. Okay, but I'm, I'm uh, so this. Then how do they? How do they in the 3D? How do they affect like humans? Then how how does the interface work? So what would a werewolf do to a human? Oh, geez, yeah. Serious damage. Right. Yeah, what would a vampire do? Serious damage. But what would a shark? What would a shark do mm-hmm. in ten feet of water with five thousand people in the water? It'll eat the people. Right. Okay? But- but you're saying they're like they're clone versions, but then they're they're cloned to manipulate DNA. Is that how it no, works? No, no, no. They, they they've been weaponized to that mm-hmm. level where they can clone them and recreate them and saturate areas with it and things like internet nodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherever there are server farms, there are high levels of psychic parasites inside uh, the servers. Yeah. Okay. It's One of the help. worst clearing jobs I ever had to do was clearing a. Uh, a server farm of 600 servers that was doing all porn. Dude, it, it's uh, no joke, isn't it? Took it took weeks. It took weeks. Weeks. And I wouldn't even say that it's, that it's you know, stamped, sealed, cleared, because they're going to turn that to, like, a tax office. Okay? Can you imagine who has to take over that space? Wow. Okay? 
And so, yeah, the, the, the use in that just keeps feeding that system. And then have some folks talk about uh-huh. kind of the Baphomet sexual energy harvesting, uh-huh. sexual battery and things like this to just fuel all kinds of things like rituals and, you know, control. That's, that's, that's trauma farming, uh-huh. traumatizing the farm so that they have predictable traumatic experiences that can be manipulated, duplicated, and um, get control of people completely in the subconscious level because they don't know how manipulable are once they've experienced a certain set of traumas. Yes. And then, you know, it goes uh, deeper into things like, you know, MK ultra project yep. uh, monarch where all these trigger words, and then it can even be propagated on mass media through like subliminals yeah. and, you know, or all this- just TV, mm-hmm. just TV shows yeah. about monarch and all that and sure. X files giving it, a far higher level of awareness than it ever did before, which gives it the power of myth. And once something gains the power of myth, our brains react completely differently. It allows our belief engine to give something extra fuel. Yeah. And so it just builds upon, keeps building upon itself, layers upon layers. And I've even heard of these retinal induction programs and things like this too. So, um, well, Switching gears here, the we, we forked off with uh, temples too, and okay. um, I know in some, uh, I guess, magical practices, people talk about these as well in the unseen. Well, I mean, we have a, everybody has a reference point for temples, you know, like with different religions and whatnot. But there's also uh, unseen temples, so to speak, right? Oh, absolutely. Wherever mm. there, if wherever there is a temple and it's been torn down, there's an unseen temple there. Mm. Okay, so there are temples here, temples there, temples everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they still have people going in and out of them. The thing is, temples were built to be monuments to time and faith and belief at its most basic architecture of energy. So it's got to be able to last and project through time so that the people are there. They're harvesting their energy at that moment, good, bad, and indifferent in energy. And not all intentional harvesting is bad. Okay. Right, because uh, well, a lot of people they get some kind of benefit. They, I mean, they will sure. give some of their energy up in exchange for uh, some kind of benefit for something, right? Right. right. But right. a lot of these have to be kept maintained. I mean, like if they keep neglected, right? right? And there are no magical uh, call centers to fix my broken monument. Yeah, right. So, you know, not as of now, I guess. Um, That's why when the guy blew up, whoever it was that blew up the Georgia Guidestones, oh, I made yeah. this joke. That all of the Illuminati's pages were going off. Who do we call to fix it? <laughs> there, there's no Guidestone repair company anymore. <laughs> and we talked about that too, about the yeah. the, uh, the you know the um, this uh, sacred uh, geometry, energy harvesting, and how there's not enough wizards around to right. maintain that system. So, what, since we're on that, what, what's your what's your take on that? I'm sorry, I missed it to, to for recap. In, in case so, you- te- temples are, are intentional energy harvesting. Not all intentional energy harvesting is bad. It's all about what is the religion or the philosophy doing with it. Is it bettering the community? Is it bettering just individuals? Is it promoting consciousness and you know, all of those things. And the more positive it is to the community, the more the, te- the more potent and power those temples can get. And the more negative, the more negative it attracts to it because it's trying to act as a vault of energy, which can be harvested. The vault could be open and energy taken out and then the vault fills back up. Uh-huh. Okay. 
And it all depends on, you know, up the food chain, the hierarchy of where that energy is going and how it's Correct. used. Yep. Okay. So now what, just briefly, your take on the Georgia Guidestones, is there anything missing from the narrative, the, the mainstream narrative on that oh, one? Oh, they know, they, they know who did it. Oh. They know who did it. They're just not going to reveal. And get this, they tried to find the original builders and they can't. They're not well, existent. Well, that's the one thing I had is like, okay, well, even the t- caretakers, if there's any kind of written agreements or verbal agreements, why not come forward? There are, that? there are, there are, and they have come forward over the years, uh, actually. But the everything. Actual, the, yeah. the company that was actually contracted to build the stones and install mm-hmm. them has done multiple documentaries. They never physically met the person. They only talked to them over the phone and through mail. Okay. And everything done was done through a lawyer. So, but all that legal agreement and even verbal agreements, those are out there now. Yeah, they've been out there for decades. Have they? Okay. So everything's pretty much known about that. Now, you know, some people have been talking about directed energy weapons or something like that. And the people that ran up to it was, uh, or something. No, that was, that was, that was probably a 20 pound box of tannerite. Oh, wow. Do you know what tannerite is? It, well, it's, I'm sure it's some kind of explosive. Yeah, explosive. It's, a, it's an explosive you use for farms. Like when you have giant beaver dams and you can't get a tractor back there, okay. you dig a hole in the beaver dam and put a 10-pound or 20-pound box of tannerite in there. Oh, wow. Okay? So, tannerite is also a fertilizer. And then when you shoot it with a 30 out 6 mm-hmm. from like 1,200 feet, um, it explodes very fast. Right on. I used to have a buddy who worked for um, dynamite or an explosive company. And what he did is yeah. he just uh, sucked out the water in the blast holes and then packed explosives. And then somebody mm-hmm. else blew it up, you know, to make gravel. Yeah. But, I mean, if you've ever watched beaver dams being exposed by, by, by Tannerite on YouTube. No, I didn't know that. that up. Yeah, I, I have. I, <laughs> I'm, a beaver dam, I'm a beaver dam removal video watcher specialist. <laughs> There's some really incredible videos like, well, fucking beavers made that. Yeah, <laughs> there is. And I just I was on uh, on the Missouri River, too. And I saw where they actually tore down a lot of trees and they were it looked like they were actually trying to correct the flow of the river, though, because it was like they were uh, plugging up where the river has eaten away from the side of the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty wild. But yeah. Well, beavers um, are the great architects. And the thing is, they, and, and even though they're architects, they're very selfish animals. They huh. will cut water off to other places to preserve it for themselves. Uh, and they can get territorial amongst their own beavers. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when they take over a land, they never stop tearing down trees. So they become pests on the same level to prairie dogs. And if yeah. you've ever lived in the plains, you have a natural um, hatred for all the back of, uh, oh, for yeah. prairie dogs. I know the farmers if, do for sure, yeah. And if you don't know why, is prairie dogs dig holes and your yeah. cow steps on a hole and breaks its foot. Your yep. favorite prize horse steps on the floor and gets, breaks, a foot, breaks its foot. Yep. And it happens so often that you have to clear all the prairie dogs out. Yes. Uh, or you I, fall in the hole and your foot breaks. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty uh, – it's, it's like Swiss cheese. The ground turns into Swiss cheese. Yep. Mm-hmm. But back to the uh, guidestones, though, what, what I thought was kind of fishy was, you know, yeah, it blew it down, but then they, they destroyed the other ones very quickly. And I yeah, don't understand was, that. They could have put it, a perimeter around there and done a nah, really nah. full investigation. So is that clear? They were huh? never going to do a full investigation to begin with. And the reason they total it down is the videos and pictures that he showed didn't realize how far it was tipping. And all of the base 
uh, metal poles that they put inside the concrete to hold it up. They were all bent and cracked all around the other devices. Huh. Okay. So there was only one device that went off mm-hmm. and they thought it was going to be enough to break all of the original uh. metal ties underneath it, but it wasn't. So that's why one side fell down. And when they got there, they had no choice because it's actually a public park owned mm. by the county. I see. Okay. Did you don't really realize that mm. once it was done being built, they donated it to the county. So the county operates it, and the only thing that they can do by law is tear it down because if somebody tries to, to pull on it, it'll fall down. Well, I guess they didn't need to investigate it that thoroughly, though. Then they pretty much came to a conclusion. I just well, think they should have released all the video raw, you know, just just to be sure. They weren't going. They weren't going to. I don't know if you realize the thing has been vandalized hundreds. And oh hundreds yeah, of yeah, times. I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So they just wanted it out of there. Maybe yeah, they're the ones yeah. who blew it up. Okay. Yeah, who, that's that's the other. Well, the the other thing was like, well, okay, you know, it was interesting how there was no date on the time capsule thing, right? Yeah. And I was just saying, well, why not? Unless they took the cameras down, why not release the full entire raw footage on the entire dig? We just have to go by what, mm-hmm, what huh? they don't want it out. They don't want it out. Yeah, so we don't really know for sure, you know, what they dug, how much they dug, what they did or didn't find, because there's no video footage of that. The the other thing too was that, you know, um, you know how these people operate uh, on consent and stuff, and these people that were getting, oh yeah, I'm glad they tore it down, I'm glad they tore it down, and so could they use that as an allowance for, oh. Hey, you like to destroy our property? Well, that now gives me the allowance to go to war with you because you think that's you think that's okay to destroy our property. Well, now we have the allowance to to do you know ideological warfare or whatever. They don't warfare. they don't need permission. They don't need a permission that's... permission to do what they do. If anything, it's just going to activate the narcissists and the and the high level negatives. Ah, uh... okay. Because they got it's what happens when you challenge a narcissist by blowing up one of their idols. That narcissist has to respond and take power back. Jeez, yeah. Okay. So, what is your take though on the not putting the date on the time capsule when it was installed or when it to dig it up? I think they purposely left it timeless because they're trying to make a marker point in time, so that they could start gra- creating a graduated scale of understanding why certain timelines fail on their own and why some timelines can be shut down with technology. So they started seeding that throughout many duplicate multiple or timelines throughout the multiverse to start tracking the Georgia Guidestones and what they actually said versus one reality to another and when their appearance in reality happened. Not now, how do they out of, in public reality. Now how do they test and correlate that data? Is it through like the the looking so glass agent, stuff agent, or it, no mm-hmm. that's looking glass and putting boots on the ground through time. Wow. Through time Actual, travel? Yeah, through time travel, yeah. And then just correlating the data? No, looking at how it affected the timeline. When did it first uh-huh. appear compared to these other realities? Like, did it first appear in the newspaper? Did mm-hmm. Ted crew Ted Turner come out and get, we built this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it is Atlanta. Ted Turner's right there. That's the first thing a conspiracy guy is going to think of. <laughs> So then they they correlate all this data and then they can just make more chess moves, right? Correct. More chess moves with it. Or gauge how fast they can use a timeline before it shuts down Uh, or begins an awakening process that they don't want. Which which basically, once they find a timeline where there's not an awakening process between like before 2050, it gives them more room to do tests and things in that reality and then migrate them back to the stitch timeline that we're in. 
So is, is all this, the coordination, is it all like non-local or they do this type of work, um, correlation work and like analysis work in like these control rooms or is there a, like a, you know, I'm thinking of like the no, energetic, a, the higher a, level equipment to like smoky back room, you know? No, there, 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 there's a time travel command. Okay. And like, okay, is there, so what's the location on something like that? Well, it doesn't need a location. Uh it's completely decentralized because it's not in time. Okay. But it's a part of all time. How does it work though? How 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 does the sky turn blue? <laughs> <laughs> Why does it turn black before it rains? <laughs> That's one of those great nature questions of how they manipulate time. But they have a strategy, they have a plan, and they also know what the negatives are trying to do and the outsiders are trying to do. And there's not one player in the time travel game here. There's thousands. So it's ultimately about predicting something before somebody does it. That's why you have so many boots on the ground throughout many timelines. So you can up your bets in Vegas, right? No, early warning, yes. Early warning, which is to defeat somebody else's time travel move or make your time travel move work better. Wow. And, and then which like could be as simple as getting a a aid, you know, for a senator who ultimately corrupts the senator. You know, versus one timeline where they got the harlot in and corrupted the center, and the other one they didn't get her in, and the senator goes on to be president. And it's so silly because it's just for more money, control, and power, right? Correct. You know, manipulating of the time for money, control, and power, right? And for what? They're going to die, and then they're going to have to start all over again. And... They don't. They don't. They don't know what they're doing. They're not, they're not <laughs> they a just... part of this greater manipulation. It's a program. Yeah, it's yeah. just the power money program. Um, for really just for itself, which is kind of like silly. Um, if you're actually using money and power for something, it's different. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, so let's shifting gears here. What about um, the halls of Amente or sphere of Amente? Um, just a basic teaching on what that is um, so, and why it's so relevant. What, what, what do you know about those Tremagistus, Hermes? Yes. Um, well, you know, there, there's different teachings. Like the some of the Guardian teachings says he – well, and then I think – you know, Black Earth Productions, if, to name drop here, did the huge presentation on on Thoth uh, or that and how it was hijacked these um, these CDT plates. I mean, we mentioned those, how they compared to the Akashic Records and then uh, stole one of those supposedly and uh, rewrote some of the stuff on there, then re-released it for manipulation. Here are these games where he um, was agreed to something, then left one group and another thing like a political thing like that and so you know as i haven't looked very deeply into it even with study so, or also long, in practice long, long story short mm -hmm. the wizards of charlemagne broke the alchemy barrier and were able to connect to an entity known as thoth tremagistus Dude, all of the, the, the that era history alchemagicians find the same entity? No. So Thoth was a transdimensional entity during the times of the Atlantean Empire here on, on Earth. Mm -hmm. By one recording of a guy called the Great White Buffalo, who was part of Aleister Crowley's group and then left and formed his own group in the middle of the desert, the high desert next to the Mormons. Okay. And he was really big into Hollywood productions and, and, and abuse of young children. Murderers. 
Everyone related to the Crowley group was murderers in one way, shape or form at that high level of money that they were operating with. Yes. Okay. So the entire modern Thoth history and era comes from the writings of crazy ass secret society cult cult groups, their leaders who believed they were Thoth or Tremagistus and mm-hmm. channeled documents to declare that, that that was the truth. But the greater entity of Thoth wanted that to all happen, knowing full well that that would happen because it would guarantee the teachings would survive and find those who were true signature frequency matched to it. So how does that relate to the halls and sphere of Amente, I guess? So the halls of Amente is where the soul goes. This is according to uh, the guys from the Great White, but- Great White Brotherhood. Now mm-hmm. you got to know your history. Mm-hmm. So I forgot what the guy's name was, Clement or something like that. And so he created the the, the emerald tablets, uh, what was actually said on, because you can search through every alchemical text that's been translated through history, and you'll never find an actual translation of the emerald tablets. There is none. Mm. It's all modern cultist creations or uh-huh. alchemical creations from the 1400s and on. Okay. And uh, well, even it was it Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, they were Crowleyites too, right? Sure, they were. They were mm-hmm. all part of the mass manipulation system that was going on there to create reality-based experiments that they wanted to let run loose in the loose in realities and to see how their broken reality little groups could break bigger reality rules. And like things like the um, the moon the moon child working right mm-hmm. and the thing at uh, Los yep. was it Los Alamos yes, all Los those Alamos. silly rituals and um, mm-hmm. you get things like the OTO and the AA or whatever that mm-hmm. is and then mm-hmm. uh, you know and then the, some of the Hollywood people like worship them or did I don't know mm-hmm. what's going on all, all that stuff and mm-hmm. uh, these talks about him tra- trying to create his own dark universe and things like this so. Um, Great yeah, science I, fiction, great science fiction fantasy. Well, yeah, which is and what, that's what an, he, that whole crowd, which is, is what he, which is what he wrote. Okay, right. yeah. <laughs> Battlefield Earth. Right, okay? and well, it, there is a you know a type of magic in just that language and story yeah. creation, right? And it becomes Absolutely. starts it becomes real. It in becomes minds myth. Away. Once again, it becomes myth. Yes, myth. Yes, myth. Yep. All right. Now the. Um, uh, I've heard of these uh, like uh, 4D workstations in the Pacific, uh, and we hear about underwater bases too. Usually, you hear about underground bases, but what about the ones that are under the ocean floor? Um, any um, thing on these uh, of note? They're every they're everywhere, mm. but the negatives military bases underground and underwater have been greatly compromised. Okay. In which it was uncompromisable before, it is very compromisable now. It would be equivalent to a forty percent loss of their infrastructure. And how did this happen? Was it just this different light working teams, grid working teams, or mm, no? So, what they do is they target the base for a timeline attack, mm-hmm. and where it's attacked simultaneously on twenty, thirty, forty, or fifty different eras of history. And then what they do is install a device there that neutralizes time travel to that base. So as long as one of the neutralizing devices is in good, that that base is eliminated from the time. And nothing can time travel in and out of it. And then it's a matter of capturing the people on the inside and time traveling them out, shutting down the base and locking down the timeline of that base, which is like putting a, a cipher lock on it where they can never get back into it. Unless they find that technology and take that Correct. technology out, right? Okay. Right. 
Now, speaking of underground stuff, um, there's reports and some teachings of this huge um, Nibirian or Nibiru uh, diode crystal below Stonehenge, and that Stonehenge was actually a um, lightworker salad. Is it? Yeah, another one to, to disrupt this um, this this crystal that was siphoning stuff. So, um, yeah. So, what? Just in general, then, what's your take on Stonehenge? In particular, it is, the, the, it is an astrological device mm-hmm. that was meant for those that are working around it on a regular base to have regular spiritual evolutions by becoming master stargazers. Okay, so that they could psychically travel from point A to point B as long as they were somewhere near the actual um, Stonehenge to use the spiritual calculation process to bilocate to the new place. Wow, right on as well as teaching them other things. The stones are record keepers also of what's sure. happened there before. And as you have the ability to observe potential futures, because it is a calendar system that counts the future too. Yes. And many of the collective rituals and ceremonies were there was to have collective vision, sharing collective vision. And I remember or, you go ahead. Or many people having visions and them all writing them down and to become a collective vision book. I remember you one time talking about um, when we start uh, sharing the same dreams, and I thought that was really mm-hmm. profound. I think that's happened a couple times to me, but obviously it's not a mm-hmm. common occurrence right now. That would be a very common occurrence in in people that are are doing the greater journey and uh, any type of Stonehenge esque process. Cool. And I'll you, be doing something very similar. Dual worlds. Have you heard of these? This terminology, a dual world. No, sounds like word salad. Yeah, yeah, boy, I've got a bunch of those. I don't think I've had too many of those. The next ones will be... Um, so dual worlds, they probably mean when one's, one reality bleeds into another and you're both experiencing a duality in your duality. That's a, I could only assume that through wow, the inferences. Yeah. But more than likely, it's not, not that because that's too high level of a consciousness with double dualities. A quadality. No, yeah, it's a... No, no, no. You you are a duality in two separate realities. We're a singularity pretending to be a duality. Wow. Okay? That... In fact, you're a duality in the other places. I, I... <laughs> the take, that would take a second to wrap my head around. Maybe I'll, that'll sink in by the time we, we, if we do this again, when we do this again. The control rooms I talked about earlier, and you've mentioned these before. Has there been any updates? And then for people that don't know about these, maybe a brief description of these... These are objects that are relatively subterranean and they tap into the overall energetic grid of the planet and they, they are prediction-based rooms. They measure the prediction and predict how life force flows through time. And Earth is meant to have individual time zones. Like where I live is a time, where you live is a time, where somebody else lived. It's supposed to be broken down to about 8,400 different individual sub-timelines on the planet. And these under control box control rooms help flow the, the form of energy of time in those individual bubbles. But since a number of them, there are 40 and, and there's still 21 that have been taken over and the remaining 19 are in neutral control or unknown where they are. And if they're able to gather all, all access to all of the different control rooms, that would mean they have a complete DNA set of the human species spread throughout the galaxy which is why they're doing a bigger DNA experiment here because they need all the DNA on the surface of the planet to unlock the control rooms simultaneously in which then they would gain control over what's called a unity consciousness drive or an engine that can move the planet without harming the planet into a brand new 
place with new sun, new everything, and be perfectly adjusted to it. And so there's probably wars and tons of shenanigans all the sure, times over these sure, things. Sure, so like, but the, lo- the ones that are lost have never been found. And as long uh, as they've been lost, they, they're never going to be found until they can find the rest of the species of DNA that's spread throughout the galaxy. And a number of those that are needed are no longer in existence. Thus, they resulted into time travel to find those original lineages before they were erased. And so this is why the genetic thing is so important. We hear about, yes. you know, we have a money system here, but some races that still, you know, trade and barter and stuff, they use genetics, right? Yep, and- they use genetics. Yeah, that's their form of currency. And so these things are tied into these control rooms. And I want to uh, maybe talk here in a little bit about um, kind of stargates and how they might, how all that works and then how they um, genetics key code or tie into that. But these control rooms, so it has to actually be like a living being. It can't just be like um, a recording of it. Like they've uh, kept it in some kind of book, you know, in, um, book, like, you know, not, not a physical book, but like some kind of recording system where they can just access it and try to recreate it through, you know, genetic modification, genetic rebuilding, something like that. And it won't, it won't stick like that to, to find this. And then I guess, how does the, um, once you do have the DNA, how do they, would they actually take that DNA and then actually find one of these rooms with that then? No, 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 no. It doesn't the work surface like of the world has to be populated with all of the forms of the DNA. And then you find the rooms because the DNA will guide you to them. Ah, okay. But until all lineages are present here, it's not going to start the guiding process. And you can't genetically modify this stuff like this. What nope. is this one guy that did the whole Earth catalog? I, he's trying to do Jurassic Park. I listened to this one podcast, and he's like, he's trying to bring back extinct species through the yep. preserved DNA. And I was like, what? Yep. <laughs> so you yeah, know, that's, that, that's not that, possible then. They can't have like a record preserved somewhere and try to clone it back or something like that to find these right. things. That's why it's illegal to do that stuff because it's so easy to bring back species that have been extinct for millions of years yeah. or hundreds of years. Yeah. I mean, what can Listen, we can repopulate this planet with everything. That's yeah. Yeah. Yes. So now who owns like the, what, who controls the ones that are known about then? Um, it's kind of split. Okay. Um, no one has any more control than the other because there's very few people that have the cumulated DNA to get into an activated control room. This is why so many people end up in hollow earth. They have to raise their frequency high enough and be in there long enough. allows them to go to the surface and just below the surface and find these control rooms and enter them. Okay. And so I don't know if this is picking up on my mic, but the neighbor below me just started to play music loud. I don't think it's picking up though. So. No, I can barely, I can barely use it. It's nothing in the background. Okay, good. Um, what uh, now future earth. Um there's some teachings about this, but that's again, that's another kind of uh, word salad again, too. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to talk about futurism okay. for a second. Sure. So I want you to go back to being a young Josh in the late 1980s, and when somebody said, um, "Let's say um, Nostradamus," okay, his accuracy rate was what 95, 97 percent, right mm-hmm. back in the 80s. Well. His accuracy rates in the low twenties now. If wow. you add twenty twenty time into it, now is this is because of all the there's he has hardly any predictions left, or what's going on with that? No, the ones that didn't come true, oh. or 
were so encoded in a language, no one in a modern time could understand it unless you were from that culture of that time with that specific reference. And this makes a big difference. We just think about in the normal everyday life, how much our lives have changed during our lifetime. You know, my grandmother, when she's still alive, she can barely recognize what's going on here now sometimes. And you just take just a couple hundred and then just go back, keep going back and mm -hmm. back and how much different it could be. The same thing can be said for Edgar Casey. Mm. He put on plenty of plenty of places where everything is at and nothing's there. And then to couple this with things like the Mandela effect, right? Correct. Meaning at the time that he made that prediction, it might have been there. Yes. Okay. Now that the great focus that was started in the mid 80s about making 2012 a significant thing, that's when so many of the uh, psyops began to bring it up and bring it up and bring up the television shows and talk about the esoteric and reveal all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So there would be a culmination of people thinking something was going to happen in which they could engage high-level energy harvesting systems. And so it really didn't matter whether or not it happened or not. It was sure. just to create a certain but, type of energy. But but mm-hmm. the, the Mayan calendar did represent something. Yes. The thing is, it was just hijacked and marketed so that they could harvest the energy before whatever it was going to signify happening. They knew that it's in what's called an enlightening set of events. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that means the people in power would lose their power because the people back in power then lost their power the same way. Okay. They lost the belief system, system of belief. And so they what happens when you mm-hmm. stop believing in the government or stop believing sure. in Christianity and people leave it on mass. Yep. And then they can harvest that energy and then use it for their means. There to, you go. To pre- preserve whatever they want or whatever they want to do with it and the power they want to do with it. Yeah. Now, you, now you're catching on with yes. the bigger picture here. Okay, so now the stargates and stuff. I wanted to turn my camera back on briefly here. The Halls of Amente, Planetary Interface, Gate gate Map, and Tandem Sextant Grid Keys. But what is your just take on, um, you know, the stargates, how they work? Is it is it anything like the movie, you know, the... the, the who the, the, made that map? Who made that map? This is from this is from the Kalantic Science teachings, I think, and it's, it's or the Freedom teachings, they call it here. And this is, uh, I think it's called now... Um, Arheus Productions, but it was right. called something. I mean, it's, I think it's from the, the folks who did uh, Voyager, 2, Voyager 2, that kind of galactic history and teachings uh, of that. So um, um, I don't prescribe to those maps. So many of those map makers mm-hmm. based their information off of alchemical texts and didn't know that the map was actually a cipher. Uh-huh. You had to know the map in a certain way in which you would get a second map, a third map, and a fourth map. So the, the, it's, it's, it's very easy to hide data inside data, especially in a map. Sure, yes. Okay? It's, it's very easy to encode something. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not talking little micro writing. The style of draw tells you to perceive it a different way because everything is a form of perception. Yes. And a lot of, again, a lot of those maps are based off of alchemical text that they have no idea what the ciphers are. Uh, and they're just recreating those maps. Okay. Now, this is does this me shitting on it? And it's no. It's me revealing a truth. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these map makers get independently charged up to create a true map, and many of them do. Okay. Okay. But unfortunately, a lot of the big regurgitated maps 
that are the fundamentals of the basis are just completely misinterpreted. Like the Piri Reese map, everybody mm-hmm. knows that map. Mm-hmm. And when I look at that map, I see a code of history, a code of time, mm-hmm. and what was being manipulated in the planet because they were changing, physically changing the size of the continents every decade. Uh, they could grow land in an hour and grow hundreds of miles of land in weeks. Now, how do they do that? They have the technology, raw matter, matter creation. Wow. Take it's energy, so- manifest into dirt, suborganisms, roots, trees, everything. And this is all some kind of quantum supercomputer that controls this then? or it's programmable DNA mm-hmm. and programmable, ra- programmable reality parameters to allow programmable DNA to grow in it. And I'm sure it's some kind of alien technology that does that, right? Or whatever kind of... Well, yes, but this technology commonly exists. You reach a certain level of high consciousness, Mm -hmm. that's available to every species. So is it consciousness-based or is it technology-based? Yeah, it's consciousness-based. There are technologies that make it much easier for the consciousness to do it. Sure. Okay. Okay, so now the Stargates. What is the Stargate? How do they work? What so they, they naturally do? exist on the planet in the different places where high life is about to be born. Mm-hmm. Example, wherever there are s- giant salmon spawning grounds, you can ensure that there's a, there's a portal there. Okay. Or there's a stargate there. The same thing in the big oceans, like in the Gulf of Aden, is where all the big fish come together and spawn right there. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the Atlantic Ocean, so on and so forth. Now, there's a difference between a stargate and a portal. A stargate is a piece of physical technology that's been put on an energy area that regularly creates portals of energy. Now that portal does not mean traveling planet to planet. Mm -hmm. It just means it has the ability to travel you through time within the same planet itself. And then when you put Stargate technology on a portal, you can transfer physical mass and volume from planet A and end up on planet B. Mm -hmm. And planet B will send back whatever it wants so when, when, when planet A's group people disappear and teleport to B, B simultaneously teleports back, but it's not limited to two planets. There could be 50 or 60 planets all tied into the same teleportation Stargate network. And so these are, um, some of them are organic, some of them are uh, techn- technology, Correct. I would think. Yes. And then yes. How do they operate? So, of course, uh, someone has to have Through, access. Via con- a consciousness. And the buildings and that enhance consciousness and keep a resonating energetic frequency within the building structures, the very land itself. Okay. Um, Now the, the, I'm sure there's also lots of uh, control and maybe fighting and backsliding and things like this over that, right. Trying to hide them and keep them secret, you know, allowing certain. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And at a lot of times, like when a war pops up, like one of the reasons there was a war in Syria Mm -hmm. for the last in, in Palestine is portals and stargates will open there because there are pieces of technology that are deep underground that were never turned off (sighs) or would randomly have sparks of energy from the planet that might activate the technology. You know, it's a giant graveyard of technology all throughout the middle East. Yeah. It's never been properly cleaned up. Uh huh. Yes, I've heard some of these stories like buried crafts, too, and how they could be powering certain grids and technology, too. Yep. That's right. That's right. 
So and it, thus why they put a war in a territory because they've got to depress the energy to make sure the portals don't open. Yeah. And so for folks who are interested in, in doing some of this through their energy work and stuff, do you have any tips on this? Like do you just get inner guidance on what to go? Um, I, I, got a, I, got a, I got a good one. Learn to fish. <laughs> now, no, yeah, if I, you, mm-hmm. when I say fish, you cast out a line okay. and then you allow your consciousness to go through your fingertips right. into the string, down the line and into the lure. Yes. And then you are controlling the lure throughout space and time. And you might get a time fish that says, look at 1864. Mm -hmm. And this allows you to grow discernment of what's biting your other line of your consciousness. Or is it me creating it? Or is this something real? Ah, yes. Okay. And it's a matter of you being creative. I I actually created a fishing rod for just this. Cool. Okay. I go out and cast it in the water. Sometimes I cast it into nothingness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I take it to the little little uh, park walks that I do. It's a little mini fisherman, so it's only like two feet long. Sure. Yeah. But it's perfect for what I want. And then I have bigger ones where I actually go fishing with. Yeah. And I give myself the actual visual process of sending my consciousness down the stream. Cool. So when I'm trying to look through a portal, mm-hmm. I have a way to do it. Mm-hmm. That's my lure on the other side, and I can turn the lure invisible so nothing can see it. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning this technique before. It's uh, it's really cool. Now, um, since we're talking about like uh, stargates and things like this, uh, what about locations? So, are there? I mean, I'm sure that the huge monuments and, and big power places on Earth are kind of the more well known ones. But is there kind of a a decent consensus of wherever where there's a, other wherever ones there's are. A, wherever there's a spawning ground for yes. high volumes of animals. Okay. And um, I guess. Um, also volcanoes too. Uh, so the, this is one thing um, it's always, or it's fascinating, it's fascinating to me since I've uh, kind of been, you know, just opening my eyes and looking at the sky is what some people call geoengineering, chemtrailing, mm-hmm. um, stratospheric, um, aerosoling, these type of things. Um, these are multi-purpose programs, right? Um, on energetic levels, there's a physical level, and then the reasons they do it is multi-layered too. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, what, what what's the kind of the most important things to say about this? So and, the, mm-hmm. the majority of the negative chemtrailing has was stopped in 2017. Yes, and all I of those this. all of those facilities were shut down. Mm-hmm. Now, what these were remote controlled 737s and 777s that had big gas tanks invested into them, way up there. Way up there. And mm-hmm. they were creating grids everywhere, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And there were about 10,000 uh, uh, planes in the fleet. That fleet has been transferred to a bunch of smaller organizations that are now doing an energy scrubbing. So the planes are loaded with these electromagnets that are kind of like um, a CAT scan, mm-hmm. a pulsed electromagnetic system. So it's like PEMF therapy for the sky. So they're flying these these giant PMF devices in the grid spaces to clean up the damage that they've done. Huh. Well, I still see every once in a while, you know, this this white haze there, up you, there. Mm-hmm. Because trail chemtrails are natural. Like there are there are pictures mm-hmm. from the eighteen hundreds of skies okay. with chemtrails in them. Uh-huh. Because they do naturally form. It's not 
it's not totally unusual for grids to appear in the sky, especially if something's been moving in an invisible state at a very high rate of speed, creating a pressure wave, but eliminating the sound ask the sound barrier part, because there's technology that stops the sound wave from creating a ruptured barrier that, you know, everyone can hear, but it still will create a wake and which will look appear as a chemtrail. Anyways, Mm -hmm. the, the, what you're seeing now if they're spraying physically, it's to repair something in the sky. Hmm. So it's if they, what are they spraying then now? If they do, <sighs> so repair. many different mm-hmm. it, these these are alchemical compounds. Okay, it's like when you first learn about, you know, um, monatomic gold, monatomic silver, and what yes. it can do for the human body. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that can be sprayed in the atmosphere that can heal the local environment truly, really fast. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's just wild that they wouldn't make this public then, you know? Why would they ever make it public? Yeah. That we just poisoned our sky for the last 30 years and yeah. the people that are that are still in charge of your planet are the ones that approved it and paid for it and they want they want to see you as a farm and not individual sovereign yeah. humans. Good point. Yeah. Okay. And there's of course there's the uh, weather is it weathermodification.com where people with enough money can just go and um buy uh, services and then um, at least that's, that's how it used to work. And uh-huh. then of course on the Chicago Board of Trade, you can bet on weather derivatives, right? right. And so the heating and cooling days, so it makes sense if you're going to place a huge derivative bet, so you just spend a little bit less money to try to control the weather, and then yeah, you get a little bit of flooding in St. Louis, <laughs> a lot of flooding in Missouri. We were and- just talking about that before the show. Yeah. How we got flash floods here a couple days ago. And, um, which is, which I wanted to share this really briefly. Um, there was a, um, exhibit a few years ago, and this was the first time this exhibit has gone west of the Mississippi. It was in the St. Louis Art Museum, and it was an Egypt underwater exhibit. And so they, they dredged all this, uh, these artifacts up out of the, um, that had been flooded in Egypt. And then, you know, it's been around wherever in the world, but it finally got here. And it just took, you know, it struck me as I don't know for sure that it could was some kind of magical act. And it wasn't too much longer, maybe, you know, months later. And then we had the, the, the Mississippi River was the, the longest it had ever been in recorded history above flood stage, like the longest time period. Um, and I was just, it was just curious about. Did the bringing of those artifacts make that happen? No. Right. Well, no, they didn't, but they were a factor in it actually happening. That's what I meant. Yeah. They're just not them by themselves. Of course not. Yeah. By it being there, it Mm -hmm. was attracting karmic resolution energy to the people to go and see those artifacts who could be triggered by them both etherically, magically, and non-perceptively. And then all of those individual people create a resonating energy that attracts a weather pattern. What is a weather pattern? The uncollective consciousness trying to come together as a collective. Uh, And weather manipulation is individuals and corporations manipulating uncollectivity. So it never comes together as a collective. Uh, or you give, I mean, not to, to dog sports and stuff so much, but the bread and circuses, if you want to get people together, then you have them go on something more frivolous like that when they can just imagine all that power and people coming together and kind of emotionally focused on one intent. If that was all done for something that could help the greater, uh, the the greater whole of humanity, you know, just wow. Um, 
Oh, okay. So now, um, I've been hearing a lot of talk about communities and things too. Um, what do you see any, um, what do you think about like making communities these days or, you know, why, what would make them succeed? What makes them fail? This type of thing. So I get asked this question. I Mm -hmm. get asked this question so often I'm jaded to it. Oh, let's, let's skip it then because it has been overdone here. I want to answer it because my jadedness in its own way is validated because so many people want to be a part of the community, mm-hmm. but have no true interpersonal human skills to maintain it. Well, that's right. And, and you couple that with people just really aren't ready on an individual level to right. just do work together, you know. And at the same time, though, we're in some kind of community all the time. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. Just and with these our intentional communities, mm-hmm. intentional communities, unfortunately, attract a lot of people who have mental instabilities to begin with. Yeah. And how are the normal people who are already considered outcasts from their group because they want to start these intentional communities? And then you bring on people who clearly have challenging on growing up, haven't dealt with their traumas, don't have a personal daily practice. Yes. And it's why these communities fail over and over and over and over again. No matter how hard they try, there's no conflict resolution. And as long as there's no common conflict resolution, that uses business level rules, policies, and procedures. Yes. So the future generations fully understand the intention. And it's hard enough just with, um, you know, couples, you know, partners yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, until we can master ourselves and just on the couple level, then, I mean, what really um, chance do we have, you know, long-term at, at really mm-hmm. conscious communities doing higher level work? You, I have, think a trem- you, have, a trem- you have a tremendous chance. Okay. The, th- the thing is, you have to allow people to be people and make mistakes. Oh yeah. So an intentional community from its very ground perception is misunderstood. There's still a bunch of individuals in the community who have to support themselves. Unfortunately, the people think we're going to share a solar grid. We're going to go off grid and share. Mm -hmm. If only one guy knows about solar grid and the rest of them are bum fuck. No ones who don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. (laughs) There's going to be a, a, a hierarchical issue because one person knows something the others don't. Okay. So yeah. How do we like convey, like just because someone has knowledge doesn't mean they're right. You start a community that has water, that has power, that has buildings. You don't go off grid as your first community. Yes. Good point. You eventually buy an off grid property and slowly migrate people weekly there and they come back until they learn the workload that has to be when you're off grid and the education load. Very cool. So there could be a transitional period, like a test mm-hmm. period too. Right. Cool. Where you get to build up your skills and know what a full day of work actually is like. You know, there's a lot of millennial kids and this is not just rocking on them, but mm-hmm. don't understand a work discipline like, like you and I growing up. That's right. I was drilled into you mm-hmm. and it wasn't drilled into the millennial groups. Nope. Okay. Am I jealous of the millennials for not having work ethic? Fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, generation Xers are around that yeah. time period. We, uh, we got to be jaded about things, but we still had right. to work, you know, we yeah. still had to work. We didn't have a choice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> we could hate it all we want, but that didn't really change. You know, it still it had didn't to stop be- it. Exactly. <laughs> so intentional communities Mm -hmm. start them just don't go off grid why don't you all why don't you all try to get into the same apartment building 
<laughs> Ooh, that is a good test, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're all in the same apartment building. Then you know who takes their trash out and who doesn't. Yes. Start there. Yeah. Okay. Start there. Yep. Well, cool. All right. Just a couple things here. Um, here's kind of a basic um, sociological question. You know, science. Obviously, we we know like kind of a lot of stuff they're getting wrong. What could we compliment you know regular scientists about? Or we can also rip into them too. So um, okay, no, no, let, let's give them a compliment. Sure, they observe, uh-huh. but that's their job. Okay, what else do they do? They create sci- iPhones. Yeah, they create televisions, computers, uh, you know, big lighters. They create cannabis. They create gravel driveways. Very good points. Yes, very. Uh, they create flush toilets. Yeah, <laughs> they create shotguns and uh, sniper weapons too. <laughs> stuff we take for granted and stuff that we're just like and we uh, don't we don't we don't water out right. Yep. So they observe, and when they find something that's rare in one environment, like you know having a repeating shotgun versus <laughs> you know fire one in five minutes to reload. Okay. I've shot a muzzleloader before. I know. Yeah, they take a yeah. little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't load it right, it might blow up on you. Yeah, that's another thing. So they've yeah. evolved a little bit. Not quite as much as our uh, electronic technology, um, but right. yeah, it surpasses everything. They give us that shiny toy. Okay. They've given us Roma tomatoes that are sweet and sensuous. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Those are genetically engineered, those tomatoes. And they're damn good genetically engineered tomatoes. Oh, well, I'm just going to have to disagree now. They're okay, but like all the heirloom tomatoes, if they're grown, they're harder to grow, but oh my goodness. Uh, I agree. I recently, got a, I recently got a batch of heirloom tomatoes and I made a traditional Greek salad, which is just tomatoes, Ooh. cucumber, olive oil, and lemon juice, <sighs> and a little bit of vinegar and some garlic. And it's mm-hmm. like dip your bread and it's to die for. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I also found the ro- the off season house rope. Maybe they're all they're all grown indoors. Okay, and by God, it was on par with an heirloom. Oh my goodness! And you're getting these and, out of Ohio or where? Yeah, the like the random little mom and pop veggie stores. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's an old song that says um, there's two things money can't buy. It's true love and homegrown tomatoes. Well, I live near Amish country, so if I drive uh, west four miles, I can mm-hmm. get Amish homegrown tomatoes. Well, that's so By cool. The bushel, like four bucks to five bucks a bushel, which is like 35 tomatoes a, bush- a bushel. Right on. Well, this reminds yeah. me, I might go help a friend who's an organic farmer uh, take down her uh, stand at the farmer's market today. We'll see. But I did go to an Amish place in Currysville, Missouri, just this little small town in the middle of nowhere. And they didn't have any organic stuff there. Oh, no, we ordered this from Southeast Missouri. We don't, it's not organic. Oh, well, uh, that's not obviously, that's kind of a rarity, I would think, in Amish communities. But all right. Well, I think we're, we ought to wrap it up here. This is yep. this has been cool. We covered so much ground, and uh, yeah, it's a, a joy and a pleasure. So, and very beneficial as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun talking to you. We covered cool, a fun. lot of subjects. So, a lot of people. So, everyone, go down to the comment section, yeah, and write down all you know the different little subject matters you guys like us to talk about, and yes. maybe other stuff you want to talk about. And I don't know. What do you think? Do you think we should do one of these live? Uh, do my YouTube live, or I don't know if my internet. Um, connection. When's your, li- when's your live show? Oh, no, just whenever we schedule the one next time that we can just oh, okay. do, do it on we YouTube can. Live. You want to? Or? Yeah, we, we can do it on YouTube Live, yeah. 
Okay. You just cool. have to link. We just you just have to figure out how to link us together. to link it to. Okay. To, yeah. Well, yeah. If it's too complicated, I guess we won't. But we, uh, it's, we'll, it's, we'll it's not. You you it's just not. YouTube it and it'll tell you how to do it. It's it's like cool. Made for boomers to figure it out. <laughs> right on. <laughs> That's how easy it is to live stream. Everybody out there. Yes, it is. And then we can maybe do multi-platforms too. Like I'm a teacher on yeah. Insight Timer Live and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not that hard. It's just a matter of, cool. of, of putting the right code in the place. It's yes. a RTMP uh, connection. So you can, you can even from YouTube, you can broadcast to multiple sources. Yes. Oh, that, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, we were. I was using like a re, something like Restream IO. Yeah, Restreamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's what I use, and I can cool. broadcast direct to Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. That's right. All at all, once. All of them. So all yep. at once. Yeah. And I think the free version's like two. But anyway, all right, um, y'all out there, have a good one. Thanks for joining, listening in. All right. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.